It's the high school football game of the week. Listen, man. Tonight is the night. Then make the night for yourself. Not one, but two of the best games in the triad every Friday. All comes down to today. Catch the action on WTOB 980 AM and 96.7 FM. Who got my back? Or tune in to our second game on WCOG 1320 AM. Both games powered by TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com, your home for triad sports. Season begins August the 20th. Franchise players here on your home for Triad Sports, uh, Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson, joined by Hot Rod Funderburk and Brandon Blakeney, also known as Brandon Lee TV. Um, we've been doing these uh, NFL divisional previews, guys. Uh, I kind of d- divvied it out to uh, Jay, JP, and Ryan have been handling the AFC, and you guys have been handling the NFC. And uh, this week, we were on the West side. Uh, they did the AFC West, and uh, you guys have the NFC West. So I have a couple of questions regarding the NFC West here as we kind of get closer and closer to this uh, beginning of the fall 2021 season. This division looks loaded. Um, starting off, uh, I saw Russell Wilson said that the Seahawks could be the top offense in the NFL this season. You buying or selling the Seahawks being a top offense in the uh, in the league? I mean, I'd say they definitely – they they're typically at the top. Um, I think DK Metcalf is a superstar in the making already. Um, you know they did some good things in the draft. They're trying to shore up that line. They got to solidify the left tackle position. Make sure they spend that money they need to for Wilson's blind side. But uh, I mean Russ is an MVP caliber quarterback. Absolutely think that they could be one of the top five offenses in the league. I don't know if I can safely put them above the Chiefs. And to be honest, I don't know if I can put them against the Cardinals either. Oh, yeah, we're going to get the Cardinals in the middle oh, wow. here in this okay. division as well. Rod, what are your thoughts? Can Seattle have a top-ranked offense this year? I mean, they could have a top-ranked offense, but you know what? Russell Wilson better be talking some good stuff. I mean, after the holdout he had, after the issues that he just had, making the team think that he no longer wanted to play with them. I mean, he's got some repairing to do in that locker room, man. I mean, you got to understand, when you're the quarterback and the team thinks that you may not want to be there, everybody's looking at themselves and looking at you because they're wondering, hey, am I the guy he doesn't want to play beside? You know, is it that guy? You know, that causes controversy, so... Russell better say all that he can. Now, as far as talent that they have, Metcalf, just like Brandon said, top receiver. Mm-hmm. Russell Wilson, great athlete. He can get things done. You know, the key is what about the rest of the team? You know, especially that defense. That defense needed some improvement. I think they went out and, um, well, they didn't. I think they, if I'm not mistaken, I think they just got some guys in free agency because they didn't even have a first-round draft pick right. um, this past year in the in the draft. So, You know, they also don't have a salary cap really to play with. Um, So I don't know, man. It's going to be interesting to see if they're going to be a top, top offense. Because to be honest with you, to me, to be a top, top offense, you've got to win your division. And I don't have them really winning division. I've got them up there, but I don't have them winning a division this year. To to have the top-ranked offense, to me, you have to have a run game as well as a passing Mm -hmm. game. And I'm trying to figure out who their their starting running back is. I'm looking at the well, rush pick. From last year, and I can't figure out <laughs> who's running they, the they, ball. I, know, they, they, I mean, they they've been doing it by committee. 
with, with, with injuries yeah. going on. I guess Chris Carson? Chris Carson w- was the feature back. He got hurt last year. Now, he, he was solid. Yeah, he was averaging 4.8 yards per carry. That ain't nothing to, to joke about. He only he had 681 yards for the season. He only played in 12 games. Um, just kind of, and he that would rank number 27th out of all running backs last year in terms of uh, yards. I can't find another. Well, Russell Wilson was at number 41. He had 513 yards on the ground himself. But you can only do that so much, as we've learned here in the Carolinas with uh, uh, Mr. Cam Newton. You can't really run a quarterback like that, the size of Russell Wilson, that much. Although I will say Russell's really good about avoiding contact. Uh, yeah, he knows how to get out of bounds. That's right. Yeah, he knows how to baseball slide and all good stuff. Although I've also seen that Russell has taken more hits behind the line of scrimmage than any other quarterback since like 2012, and that includes Cam Newton. So uh, I, I don't think they could be the number one ranked offense. I mean, with I mean, you got Kansas City out here, you got you know 85 Tampa Bay Bucks, Brady. yeah, Tampa Bay. <laughs> I mean, they got they got stuff all over the place at Tampa. You got, I'm high on the Browns and their offense, what they've got. I mean, they got a lot of talent. Uh, they didn't even have Odell last year. He got hurt early in the year. So, I mean. Yeah, and I think yeah. Baltimore can make some noise. On uh, you know, before we even go any further, let me stop right there because I'm glad somebody brought up Baltimore. I was going to wait, but then this Lamar Jackson thing's kind of bothering me. Like the whole, the dude has caught COVID twice <laughs> and he still refuses to get a vaccination. He's the quarterback of the team. Do you think that that might cause some sort of, rift in the locker room for Baltimore that the fact that Lamar is still he's tippy-toeing around even doing the vaccine don't you think at this point he probably should because I mean they the NFL I just spoke to Joe Person about this the NFL's basically set it up so that uh you know we can't make you take the vaccine but we're gonna do everything in our power to punish you if you don't in terms of forfeiting, forfeiting games and all this other stuff what are you what are your quick thoughts on Lamar Jackson and this whole uh, you know, well, it's up to me. It's a choice of my family. But he's caught it twice. <laughs> he's caught it twice in the past twelve months. So, what do you, what do you, what are your thoughts on all that? You know, I think it's difficult to really gauge that because there are people react to this COVID nineteen virus in many different ways. You know, some people just lose a, the smell. Some people lose a taste. You know, some people have temperatures, and then there are other people who go all the way to the extreme. You know, they can't breathe. They're in a hospital on a ventilator. And, you know, sometimes as an athlete, although you may catch things, you still feel like you're invincible as an athlete. And it it sounds like the virus has not affected Lamar Jackson in the way where he's had to go to the hospital. It's just a matter of, oh, I'm positive. I feel fine. I may have lost my sense of smell, things of that nature. And mm-hmm. then on the and then on the other side, you have a lot of people who are still in the conspiracy theory about this virus and the vaccine for the virus because they're saying, you know, is all these studies that you can't really know a vaccine or have an accurate vaccine in less than a year to come up with one. And there's a lot of research on that. And there are people who are bringing that up. So it's really hard to gauge how it would affect the team because who knows? Maybe he has teammates who feel the same way. Yeah, I was just a little. You still have people in America who say COVID doesn't even really exist. It's really a cold. You hear people say that all the time. So if he's along the lines of showing cold symptoms, it's probably going to be difficult to make him get a vaccine, especially if he's on the side that the government, I don't trust. They do things like inject people with syphilis to see what happens and, you know, things that have happened in the past. And a lot of people bring these things up. So it's really hard to gauge it. It all depends on how it's really affecting him and his health, as well as the team and any other teammates who may have contracted it. This. 
Um, Brandon, your thoughts on real quick on uh yeah I'm, I'm up there with him kind of not wanting to take it. Yeah, I mean I'm in the, I'm kind of in the same boat. It should be the individual situation or individuals uh, situation by situation. Um, you should be able to you know choose whatever you think is best for you. Um, both sides have had valid points. I know they asked Cam Newton a while back, and he said it was too personal to talk about. Um, I don't think it's any of our business whether he takes the vaccine or not. Um, you know, it doesn't seem like it's bothering him too much. Like you said, it's the second time he missed 10 days, I think, uh, the last time and came back. So um, I think it's just his individual t- choice. And I, I'm, I'm be willing to bet anything that he's not the only one on the team that hasn't gotten it. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. I mean, you're talking about teams like the the Washington football team, where I think it's only like 50 percent of the teams even vaccinated. And their head coach, Ron Rivera, is, is immunocompromised after dealing with cancer. So, I mean, it's. There's there's certain elements to some of these stories where I'm just kind of like, I don't understand why these players aren't doing it. Because then there's other teams like our Panthers who are like 95 percent vaccinated or whatnot. So in the end, I think it's going to end up being a competitive advantage for the teams that are more fully vaccinated than those that aren't. Because you're going to no matter what he feels about it being a vaccine that he should take, shouldn't take. It's not my business or whatever. He runs the risk of catching it again. And if he catches it again. He's not going to be able to play. He, he runs the risk of infecting the quarterback room. He runs the risk of infecting half the team. And if they don't have enough people to play, he runs the risk of them losing a game because of his decision. So that that's stuff that we need to discuss. And we'll probably save that for a, a segment as we get closer to the start of the regular season to cover the NFL as a whole. Um, right now, got uh, Brandon Blakeney and Hot Rod Funderburk on the line with me here. We're doing our divisional previews of the NFC. Um in the NFC West, uh, we were talking about Seattle. I, I'm curious about what's happening in uh, San Francisco. Who do you guys think the starter is going to be in San Francisco? Jimmy Garoppolo or Trey Lance? Because even though Trey Lance hadn't really played organized football in over a year, everything I'm hearing out of San Francisco's camp is that he's tearing it up. And to the point where uh, their head coach basically has had to change on a daily basis in terms of telling the media what he expects Trey Lance is going to be doing. He's gone from, oh, he's going to sit to, oh, we're going to make some packages for him to be almost noncommittal to who the starter is at this point over the course of three or four days. Brandon, I know you've been real high on Trey Lance from the mm-hmm. get-go. Uh, what do you think? Do you, who do you think is going to be the starter week one in San Francisco at this rate? Um, honestly, I think week one we'll see Jimmy Garoppolo start things off. I know he's been battling injuries, trying to really get back to 100% as well. Uh, Trey Lance seems to get better with every rep. So I do think at some point during the season that he will take over the reins and be the uh, face of this offense, this franchise, um, maybe earlier than a lot of people thought. Um, you know, they went high and drafted him. I expected him to probably sit at least half the season. But the way the reports are looking, I mean, they will give Jimmy four or five games and see how it's looking. Rod, what do you th- who, who do you think is going to start, Rod? Uh, Jimmy G? Porn star Jimmy, as he's affectionately called, on the first take, or, uh, Trey, or Trey Lance. <laughs> yeah, I know porn star Jimmy has missed like 23 games in the last three seasons. So he, like Brandon said, he definitely has to get healthy, you know, to be able to help this 49ers team here. But just to start the season out, I believe I'm in agreement with Brandon. It will be quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, they have have they have a lot of time invested in him. Uh, Shanahan has spent a lot of time with him during the off season trying to put game plans together. They have a heck of a, a heck of an offense built the, that was built for Jimmy G 
And part of that offense is something that you mentioned earlier, uh, Dez, and that is having a great running game. You know, they had some guys who were hurt last year in the running game, and now the running backs should be healthy. They're going to start off, I think, regardless of who the quarterback is, San Francisco is still going to rely on their running game. And I tell you what, they just paid left tackle Trent Williams, was it $138 million over six yeah, years, yeah. making him the highest paid offensive lineman in the history mm-hmm. of the NFL. So mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, they're going to make sure they run behind him and they're also going to make sure whoever the quarterback is, in my opinion, Jimmy G starting, um, they're going to make sure that that quarterback is protected. Uh, so I've got um, Jimmy G definitely starting, but I mean, we'll see, you know, Trey, Trey Lance, he's got uh, plenty of time to grow. If I was Trey, I would not necessarily want to jump out there too soon because regardless of how he did in college, this is the NFL. Everybody's all American. Everybody is all, you know, college. I mean, these are guys who are playing a game to feed their family and they're serious. So he might as well be prepared whenever he does go. And to me, it's better to take your time, especially as a rookie quarterback, than to just hurry up and jump on out there and see what happens. This I, th- I think the best case scenario is the Kansas City scenario where you have a guy that can you know could play in Alex Smith. He plays the whole year. Pat Mahomes sits behind him for a full season to get acclimated to the speed of the NFL. And then, you know, year two, Pat Mahomes is the starter. They trade Alex Smith out of there. And uh, Pat, we all know what happened with Pat Mahomes from that point forward. The, the problem here is that Jimmy G has proven to be injury prone. So I'm mm-hmm. not very sure that he can make it through the season without getting hurt. So we might see Trey Lance without uh, San Francisco actually wanting to put him on the field just due to Garoppolo's ability to get injured by week five, week six. It feels like uh, has he had a year other than other than the Super Bowl year? Has he had a year as a starter in San Francisco where he wasn't hurt for the majority of the season? Well, like I said, I know the last three seasons he's missed 23 games and they just went to the Super Bowl, what, two years ago? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so well, I, mean, I don't, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can't name one. Yeah. Uh, and he's broken out. No, he's been getting banged up. Too. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, yeah, I think, um, Plus, too, this this idea that you, on one hand, like I said, I think the ideal situation for San Francisco would be for him to sit. But really, over the past decade, we've seen rookie quarterbacks get thrown out there from day one, and they're just fine. Um, Cam Newton comes to mind. Uh, you know, we kind of knew from week one where he had that 400-yard outing. They lost the game. But, you know, we were like, okay, some of the stuff that we thought might be an issue with Cam – it looks like he's going to be all right. Just just last year, Justin Herbert for the Chargers mm-hmm. wasn't supposed to play. The Chargers team doctor accidentally deflates Tyrod Taylor's lung, and because of it, he gets thrown out there. Uh, and I just saw an interview with him with Mina Kimes on ESPN where he was saying he didn't know until like literally five minutes before the you know the kickoff that he was going to be starting, and he ended up having a great year. He was a rookie of the year in the NFL, threw for 66% completion rate, over 4,000 yards, 31 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. I mean, the kid played fantastic and didn't have to sit a year. So maybe we're past the point where Trey needs to sit there for a year. And I think people really forget how good San Francisco was two years ago. Like they were, they had been completely rebuilt and they had been getting first round draft picks like, on their defensive line in particular, like if you look at their defensive line and their front seven, they just restocked like everything over like a three-year period. And people forgot about them because they were hurt last year. Like they were super banged up. Yeah. They were banged up on offense and that, and that was the big difference. Yeah. But I think they're going to be back uh, this year uh, the same way. So 
we'll see how that's going to go. Um, can Arizona sneak up on the division? Like how much of a, how much, where do you put Arizona? Cause at the beginning of the segment, Brandon was saying he thinks Arizona might be able to win this division. I, I hadn't really give, given Arizona too much thought, but looking at what they have, that might not be so far fetched. What are your thoughts on Arizona? Oh man, well, I, I completely agree. Um, I think that they have the most talent returning back on the offensive side. You got, of course, you got Nook Hopkins coming back. Christian Kirk's going to be back. Um, Edmonds is good. Kenyon Drake, that backfield duo, oh, maybe the AJ best. Green. Yeah, they also picked up AJ Green, who can be a second or a third option in this offense at the receiving core. And really, I think, find a second win within his um, late in his career right now. And they add impact defensive end J.J. Watt on the defensive side. Oh, that's right. Oh, man. Okay, so I'm sitting there looking through their their roster because I completely forgot who they had signed. And uh, you're absolutely right. They've got got some stuff over here. James Connors at running back. Um, Chandler Jones at linebacker. Buda Baker at safety, who signed a a massive bag of contract. He's a top five safety in the league. Malcolm Butler, Malcolm Butler's over here as a cornerback. Um, still got Pat Peterson, Jordan Hicks at linebacker. I mean, they're gonna be good. They did some good stuff in the draft too. Yeah. Okay. So okay, I'm feeling this a little bit. Um, I was kind of leaning towards uh, San Francisco to be honest to to win the conference or to win this division, but now I am kind of looking at Arizona to see uh, they might be. And then finally, we got the uh, the Los Angeles Rams. Well, hold on, Des, but before you move on to the Rams, let me just throw in my two cents about Arizona, if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I think they definitely got far better on defense, especially when they were able to pick up J.J. Watt, and then that just felt like it brought all the other pieces in defense that you guys just named right together. My problem is I don't have Arizona winning this thing because I have absolutely no faith in the head coach, Cliff Kingsbury. I just don't. I just don't have any faith in him at all. I I, I still have an issue with the guy who doesn't have a winning record in college and is able to all of a sudden take the helm of a pro team and do something in the NFL. And I could be a hundred percent wrong, but I don't see this guy coming into the NFL, turning the NFL upside down when he couldn't do it in college. Cause now you're talking about stiffer competition. You're not talking about kids anymore. You're talking about dealing with men and a man leading other men. I have no faith in Cliff Kingsbury. The roster looks great. The players look great. Cliff Kingsbury to me, needs to be switched out for someone else. So that is the reason I don't have them winning a division. I, I didn't pick Arizona because of uh, Kyler Murray. You guys know I don't have an issue with Kyler Murray in terms of him being a good player. Uh, I'll never dispute that he's a good player. I always had an issue with his size. Um, he kind of reminds me of uh, Johnny Manziel in terms of like his body build. And I never mm-hmm. thought that was going to cut it in the NFL. But now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, the NFL has changed the rules so much where you can't even really touch a quarterback. So, I, I mean, size might not really matter. I mean, you look there. at him, Baker Mayfield, Russell Wilson, yeah, they've kind of mm-hmm. broken that mold. Drew Brees. They're all like short, like 5'11", 6'1", type quarterbacks that can move around. They're mobile. Uh, yeah. They're more likely to scramble to go pick up a first down. You got to kind of keep an eye on them. Um, but, I mean, at any given Sunday – you get somebody that throws a lick on one of these dudes in the open field, I feel like they're not going to get up. <laughs> well, Des, well, you said it. It's the, it's the physicality of the game um, that has changed that has allowed quarterbacks like that to stay in the game. Because, you know, you know it, back in the day, you know, you could take hits from anywhere. Now, if you get a clean hit on the quarterback, 
even if it looks wrong. There's a flag coming out. So that has yep. made all defenses hesitant about quarterbacks. But Kyler Murray, with his size, he can get past it due to the rule changes. But he's still a good quarterback because last year, I think he completed just right at 66% of his passes. Mm -hmm. um, he had like, uh, I think in the last two seasons, he had, I want to say, 46 touchdowns. Uh, but now he did have some interception issues. I think in the last two seasons, he had over 20 interceptions. So that's going to make a big difference. But still, completing 66% of his passes and he's able to be mobile and run the way that he does, like a second Russell Wilson, you know, I think Kyler Murray is going to be great. I just feel like Cliff Kingsbury is the issue for Ed, the Arizona I mean, Cardinals. Eight, 819 yards on the ground. That can't be overlooked as well. Plus, the, you know, the over 3,900 passing yards. That can't be sustainable for. I mean, he's, he's done it back to back years. He's 5'10, 207. Um, and, he's and he's 23. So, I mean, yeah, he could probably do it for a couple more years, but I feel like once he gets to like 27, 28. He's not going to want to do it anymore because <laughs> it's going to expose him. That. You know what I mean? And, yeah, I, he'll have to preserve himself. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But I think too, the offenses have catered to guys like this. Not only of the rule changes, but the offenses and the strengths of offenses that are directed into this. They they build around their talent more so now. I think too is more advanced than it was back in the day. Um, real quick, LA Rams. Uh, are the Rams better with Matt Stafford at quarterback, or do you feel like they're the exact same team they were with Jared Goff as quarterback? I'd say better. Can they win the division with Matt Stafford? Uh, I just don't think he has enough around them, in my opinion. They do have the best returning defense, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I would see. I think they're going to win a lot of games on their defense. I mean, you got Aaron Donald, uh, Donald out there still terrorizing people. And I would still say he's a top three overall NBA, uh, NBA NFL player, if not the number one guy. Um, you got the top cornerback in the league back there uh, locking people down. I think it hurts them, though, that Akers is out for the year. Cam Akers was having a yeah. really good year with them last year. And that backfield, that kind of hurt. That stings a bit. Yeah, I don't even know who the running backs. I guess Daryl Henderson, maybe. Um, yeah, I'm looking at their roster. Jalen Ramsey at cornerback. They got they signed Deshaun Jackson, a wide receiver. He's at the tail end of his career. Uh, you mentioned Cam Akers. Um, yeah, just yeah. I don't think I don't know if they have enough. It, it's bothered me too that uh, Sean McVay gets like all of these flowers for being such a great coach. But thinking back on it, what has he done? Like, what has he really done to get all this? He hasn't won a Super Bowl. He's he only won a division like one year, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. He's really young. That people treat him like he's this like. You know, you know what he did, Des? What? He came behind Jeff Fisher. That's exactly what he did, <laughs> Mister <A> so, <laughs> Yeah, he came behind <laughs> Jeff Fisher. But believe it or not, guys, I actually have the Los Angeles Rams winning this division. Wow. And yeah, and the reason that I say that is, granted, Jared Goff seemed to be having some issues last year trying to execute a lot of the creativity that Sean McVay likes to incorporate into his offenses. So of course, you had to trade him and get someone. Well, if you look at Matthew Stafford, let's look at his career in Detroit a little bit. He would put up respectable numbers for a Lions team that couldn't convert those numbers into wins. If you ever looked at his number, you remember he got paid because of his numbers. Yeah. But remember, Des, you used to say it all the time. It's the Detroit Lions. What <laughs> yeah. are they going to do? You said it all the time. It's the Detroit Lions. So now you take a guy who's able to put up numbers and you put him with a guy like Sean McVay. And if Sean McVay 
and Stafford can get together and understand the creativity that McVay likes to put on offense. Because guys, we have seen McVay come up with some plays that we'd be like, "What McVay did?" Yeah, I'll give him that. You know, yeah. I mean, we've seen the creativity. So if he's got a quarterback and Stafford can execute that, and then on the other side of the ball, you guys just said it. This is probably the best defense in this division, if not the league. I think overall, the yeah. best defense. You got a creative Sean McVay, which is opposite of what I said about Arizona's Cliff Kingsbury. Sean McVay, to me, is more of a leader than Cliff. So this is why I have Los Angeles Rams winning, even over San Francisco, because still, we don't know what Jimmy Garoppolo is going to do if he gets hurt. I still can't put my trust in a complete rookie quarterback. And then with the Seattle Seahawks, you're talking about still Russell Wilson has a lot to prove and to me, put that team on his back based upon his offseason issues of I don't know if he was trying to get more money or if he was really wanting to leave Seattle. I think there's still issues there. Therefore, that's why I have the Los Angeles Rams. Man, I, th I think it comes down to coaches. They they can only do so much as putting you in the right position, but players still got to make plays. And if I'm going off of that, I, I got to take the Arizona Cardinals. But I also think it's the Seahawks division to lose if you if people thought that. I don't think you could be wrong either. Um, you know, if if the if the Rams do come through and win, though, I think it'll surprise a lot of people. I yeah, it would surprise me. Um, I, I'm picking the 49ers just because I think everyone's overlooking them. They were the best equipped to continue winning this division if it hadn't been for injuries in the COVID season of 2020. So I'm kind of looking for a bounce back from them, and I'm kind of expecting Trey Lance to be starting by week three, just because Jimmy G's going to be on crutches doing something on the sideline and they won't have much of a choice. So uh, we'll see. It's a wide open division. Um, can the NFC West, that, you know what? I'm going to save that question. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on in the month. Let's uh, let's take a quick break. We'll come right back. You're listening to franchise players on tobacco road, sports radio.com. Beamer tire and auto repair. Now with three locations across the triad in high point Greensboro and our new location in Kernersville. Beamer tire and auto offers full service auto repair all tire brands, free alignment checks, oil changes, and more. In Kernersville, check out the no appointment needed quick lube shop. Check out their thousands of five-star ratings via Google and Yelp. They care because they know that you can go anywhere. So try a shop with a beating heart, not a bottom line. Beamer Tire and Auto Repair. Visit us on Facebook or at BeamerTire.com. Welcome back into a brand new episode of Franchise Players. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson. Before we get into our guests and topics for the day, I needed to make a huge announcement. Franchise Players moving back to their home Friday afternoon, starting the week of August the 20th. Uh, if you recall, the rundown used to be in that afternoon slot. Franchise Players will be a two-hour Friday afternoon show. All the top guests, beat writers, play-by-play -play announcers, athletes, coaches, everything you can think of, plus the esteemed panel, J.P. Mundy, uh, Jay Spivey, Ryan Stone, Rod Funderburg, Brandon Blakeney, they'll all be in the house. So starting August the 20th, uh, you can catch us on Fridays before high school football. Went and grabbed uh, voice of the Charlotte Hornets radio network, Sam Farber, uh, because for really the first time I can think of, Sam, we're in August and we're still you know talking Hornets and it's fantastic. Uh, welcome back to the show, uh, franchise players here. Welcome back, Sam. How are you doing? I'm good, Desmond. Thanks for having me. So uh, I know that uh, general manager Mitch Kupchak, he had a press conference on Tuesday. I had a chance to drop in and out of now that we're in this brand new virtual press conference world. I don't think any of the pro 
uh, sports are going to go back to <laughs> the way we used to do this. I think they've gotten comfortable doing this via Zoom. Um, he did address uh, members of the media on Tuesday uh, to talk about moves during free agency. Kupchak had mentioned that the Hornets had made progress in the offseason. Sam, out of the free agent signings that the Hornets have made, which one do you think will have the biggest impact on the 2021-2022 season? Ooh, I, you know, I'd, I'd have to say it's Plumlee because without him, there's not an experienced starting center on the board. And there were certainly some obstacles to overcome last year when injuries would befall the center position. I thought P.J. Washington did a spectacular job filling in. Um, but, you know, seven feet tall is seven feet tall. You can't teach height, as they like to say. And P.J. Washington, for all the physical gifts that he has, when he was going up against a seven-footer or a Joel Embiid, there's some disadvantages there that he's just going to have to overcome. So I think adding Plumlee really deepens this roster. Whether P.J. Washington is playing the four or he's the, the first center off the bench, uh, I think it just makes them that much deeper. And that's not to discount the additions of Kelly Oubre or Ish Smith or other players on this roster or the draft picks for that matter, but not having an established starting center uh, would have been a pretty glaring hole. And to fill it with Mason Plumley on the contract that he's on with the production he showed in Detroit, uh, I'm excited for what he can bring to the Hornets and just allow the other guys to be themselves. You know, P.J. Washington had a lot of games where there were things asked of him to do that were not scoring the basketball. Now he can focus more on the things he excels at because he's not being asked simultaneously to guard a seven-footer for 28 minutes a game. Yeah, I'm glad you started off there because that was actually uh, it's a nice segue into my second question. The the center situation didn't seem to be completely resolved in free agency or the draft, and you touched on some of the hot spots there. Uh, Hornets fans know we we traded for Mason Plumley, uh, pretty team friendly deal there, and then we drafted Kai Jones. Uh, you know, moving back up into the first round, shades of Scott Fitterer of the Carolina Panthers with the draft board movements with uh, Mitch Kupchak this time around. Rarely do the Hornets trade back up into the first round to grab a guy, but they did for twenty year old Kai Jones out of Texas. They did not retain Cody Zeller or Bismack Biombo. Sam, does it feel like the plan is to kind of lean on young prospects like Vernon Carey, Nick Richards, Kai Jones? It does, and I think there's good reason to. You know, we talk a lot in sports, basketball, football, baseball, all the, all the big ones about development. You know, we look at, all right, here, here's the future. Here's what they project at. But then when players don't show it on day one, it's as if the fan base or the, the followers forget about those guys. And the reality is – Vernon Carey and Nick Richards were faced with an unprecedented obstacle for rookies. No summer league, no normal training camp, all the advantages that most rookies get, they were deprived of. And so this is really their first time going through an actual offseason. Plus, they have the added benefit of having been with the team last year and learning under guys like Cody Zeller and Bismack Biombo. So I think the faith that the franchise has in those young pieces to be able to step in, take on those minutes, fill those roles, and perhaps one day exceed uh, or excel to the heights that they're hoped to find, I think that's well-placed. So I don't have a problem with them uh, putting a little bit more faith, uh, a little bit more pressure on Vernon Carey and Nick Richards from what we've seen so far in Summer League. I, I like what they're showing. Um, and if you're putting them out there, whether it's in a backup center spot or you know third spot, it doesn't really matter. It, it, this is the point in their development where you want to start to see that incremental advancement. And I have no problem with uh, the, the front office 
uh, kind of, you know, leaving them room to grow into. Yeah, I don't either. It, uh, to me, it would have been kind of contradictory for them to have spent the draft capital that they did on Kerry and Richards and, and then trading up for Kai Jones all to just go and dump, you know, millions of dollars on a free agent that may or may not have been a good fit with the culture that they seem like that they're building. Uh, they've really successfully, I've got to give flowers to Mitch Kupchak and uh, to an extent, James Borrego, where they have flipped this roster over the past two years. It was really a heavy veteran Latin uh, unit. And they have over two years or so, they have flipped it over to a much younger, uh, higher ceiling talent wise type of team. And I'm sitting there looking at Vernon Carey. I, I didn't even, I mean, it's hard to kind of fathom sometimes. This kid's 20 years old. <laughs> he just turned 20 in February. Like, I mean, he literally should be entering his senior year of uh, of college, if I'm not mistaken. Well, well, actually, it'd be junior year of college that he'd be going into uh, this year if he hadn't left uh, Duke early. And he was pretty much a, a top-rated uh, high school player coming out uh, of high school. So the talent's definitely there, and it feels as if they're really investing into these young guys uh, so that I could see a situation, like you mentioned, Sam, where Plumlee's starting this year, carries the number one backup behind him, uh, I kind of feel like Kai Jones is probably going to spend a lot of time this year in, in Greensboro. Uh, but, you know, you never know. Uh, he's shown some flashes in Summer League, but you know how that goes with Summer League. Uh, don't want to get too high or too low <laughs> with what you see um, out there. On the line with us, uh, Sam Farber, play-by-play voice of the Charlotte Hornets Radio Network. You can follow him on Twitter at Sam Farber Live. Um, Mitch also said, Sam, that the goal is not to get the eighth seed or to make the play-in game next year. It's to make the playoffs in advance. Do you catch a sense being around the franchise that this this team, this franchise is starting to round a corner of sorts in terms of expectations? I think in terms of expectations, yes, the, the bar has risen and they are a bit ahead of schedule. I mean, if you if you put the focus on LaMelo Ball and compare him to other elite point guards and, and the pace of their development, most of them, it's around year three or four that there's that breakthrough, uh, not just for them individually, but for the team around them. Uh, LaMelo kind of did that, not even in year one, in like year 0.8, because there was no summer league. There was, you know, all these disadvantages that were there for the second round picks were there for the first round pick, too. Um, and LaMelo overcame all of that and got the team in to the postseason via the play in tournament. Now the question is, can they take the next step? And Look, I think it's great to have these young pieces out there and the future is extremely bright. But I do think that the, there's the right number of veterans at the right places to take this team into a top six position. Now, granted, we're not operating in a vacuum. It's not like the Hornets were the only team out there making moves. Miami had the disadvantage last season of uh, basically having 15 minutes off a grueling NBA finals run to then have to you know, rebound, get back out there on the floor and uh, you know, do it all over again. Uh, they certainly had to be hindered by that, and they've reloaded. Chicago has loaded up as well. Other teams are making moves as, too here, but in terms of a young core, uh, Hornets have all the talent they could ask for, plus a great leader in Gordon Hayward. I don't have any doubt in my mind if there weren't the injuries to Hayward and Ball last year, this is a top five seed. And I think having the expectations of being in the top six or making that uh, top eight bracket and being competitive in your first round series, hopefully moving on to round two, those expectations should be there. You don't you don't want to go into this saying, well, I hope we finish 500. 
You want to go in there trying to win a championship. That's the mindset players and coaches have. I think the front office is the right amount of realistic when it comes to their expectations, but uh, no one in the building wants to be in the lottery again next year. That's for sure. Uh, you know, honestly, being a lifelong Hornets fan, I'm trying to think back to a time where the buzz uh, for the Hornets exceeded outside of the actual regular season based on the talent they had. And to be honest, Sam, I have to go all the way back to the 90s, those Larry Johnson, Lonzo Mourning, Muggsy Bogue teams that they basically built through the draft and having uh, the good fortune of getting a couple of top three picks back to back. And they were able to build off that, you know, Kendall Gill and all those boys that that those were the Hornets teams where people didn't worry about making the playoffs. They were actually shooting for higher uh, goals. The Bulls were running around, of course, in the 90s. So that kind of shut all of that down. But <laughs> um, I want to move over to Summer League real quick. Thoughts on a couple of players so far through two games that they've played uh, up to this point. First round draft pick James Booknight. Uh, I was actually... Not too sure about him. One of my uh, co-hosts, Brandon Blakeney, he had watched him uh, at UConn a lot last year, and he was like, he, he's literally uh, a bucket. Like, every time he gets the ball, he's, he's a threat to score. He had a great debut, not so great game two. What have you seen so far from the first-round pick that excites you, and what have you seen that worries you a little bit? Well, he's an extremely talented scorer. He's got the mid-range game. He can get to the bucket. He can finish. He can finish in traffic. Uh, all those things are there, the athleticism, the quickness, the length and height he has for the guard position. All of it is really, really strong. I think a big key for him taking that next step, it's, you know, quicker decision making. Uh, as almost all rookies do, he has a tendency to stand in front of a defender and dance with the basketball and try and find a way around him. And the reality is, one, those defenders are pretty good at this level, and so it's going to be harder to dance around them. And two, if you do get around him, there's two other guys waiting for you generally. You're not going to have an open lane to the cup. So uh, his ability to make quicker decisions, you know, get the ball off a pass and immediately attack – or get the ball and immediately shoot, or get the ball and immediately give it up, keep the ball moving, uh, that's going to be a key for him. Because there were a lot of times in yesterday's game where you know he'd have a good drive, he'd get by the first defender, and now he's playing one-on-three, and he's still in attack mode. And you like that aggressiveness, you like that confidence, but the reality is the right decision there is to give the ball up and let someone take an open jumper or an open lane and make a cut. Um, so you know that's part of the development that James Booknight's going to have for himself right now he is likely the best player on the team i don't want to you know uh, disparage anyone else's talent there's a lot of really talented players on this team but you know he's the primary guard um and now the question is, you know will he come to these realizations now will it be when terry rogier or gordon hayward tap him on the shoulder and say hey rook uh when there's three guys around you give me the ball and i'll hit the shot you know <laughs> but it's going to happen at some point i'm very confident in that book Knight is a very very strong player he's got a lot to bring to the table right away um i'm excited to see his continued development but he's not a finished product no rookie is and i think it made it easier uh when they got book night to, to basically let Malik Monk uh, go onto the free agent market. And he landed in LA uh, with the Lakers. If I'm not mistaken, I think he's the youngest player on that roster. Um, well, Taylor Horton Tucker's on that roster too, but I think he's the second youngest at 23, but uh book night appears to be everything you wanted a monk, but just a little bit taller, I guess. Uh, got a couple more things in his skill set bag that, uh, that maybe monk didn't have. So we'll see how he does. 
another player in summer league uh, that's making some uh, noise is Kai Jones, the first round pick that the Hornets traded back into the first round to draft at the 19th pick. Uh, Sammy's explosive. Of course, the dunk he had earlier in the week has gone viral. Um, and it's all over the place on all the sports talk uh, shows you see on television. Is it crazy to think that this 20-year-old may actually be on the main roster when the season begins? Not crazy. Not crazy, especially given how young the team is. He's amazing in transition. And as you saw, if he gets the first step to the basket and is able to jump, it's over. He can jump over everyone. This this is a, you know, he. It, I talked to him right after the draft, and I asked him five years ago if I had been asking you where your sports future would lie, Olympics or NBA, where would you have said? He said it would have been Olympics. I mean, that's the kind of, of gifts this athlete has. But there's no mistaking the fact that he was coming off the bench for Texas because they had some more polished bigs at the time. And they were electing to start, you know, some other guys who are currently in summer league right now, for that matter. One of them was drafted. Um, so he's, he's an extremely gifted player, but getting, you know, more reps in the half court, you know, having a little, you know, quicker decision making. That's going to be a theme here. There's a reason the team turned the ball over 20 plus times in both of their first two games. Uh, they weren't making those quick decisions that they need to to be able to be effective at the NBA level. Um, so, you know, in terms of athleticism, I think Kai Jones is about as impressive as anyone I've seen in summer league and anyone as we've seen in Charlotte, for that matter, uh, outside of Miles Bridges. And now it's just a matter of taking those physical gifts and learning the game a little bit more and making those incremental steps. Um, will he be ready to be in the top eight rotation day one? I don't know. There's a lot of really talented players on the team, but can he get there by season's end? Absolutely he can. Yeah, it's crazy, too. It's almost like uh, the Hornets are are going against the grain in terms of how uh, other NBA teams have been built the past three or four seasons, where it's almost like, you know, you got teams like Golden State and Houston and others where they built from the outside in from the three point line into the paint. The Hornets almost feel like they're kind of building with youth. It's almost like a Lob City 2.0 with with LaMelo running the point and you're going to have Miles Bridges. You're going to have Kai Jones. You're going to have all these guys that are kind of like ping pong, uh, not ping pong, but uh, like pogo sticks basically out there and pounding the paint, which I really love because I'm an old school type of uh, fan. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Finally, I, I got to touch on it, Sam, because I've been struggling with this. And then it didn't help that the 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 first two games this kid's had actually weren't bad. Leangelo Ball. Uh, he's been a present. He's been a pleasant surprise, a, a bright spot so far in summer league. I was against this move at first and then actually got a chance to see some highlights and see what he's doing, check the stats. And uh, he seems to have enough talent to at least warrant a stint in Greensboro with the swarm this year. What are your thoughts on what you've seen from Jello and the chances he actually makes the Hornets roster this year? Well, you can make a serious argument that Leangelo Ball has been the best player on the, the Hornets yeah. team <laughs> to this point. Uh, you know, he he is a shooter. I, I've covered the Ball family since Leangelo was a junior in high school when all three brothers were on the team together. And this he's always been able to, to ask you. Yeah, this is what I wanted to ask you because I knew you had covered him since high school and you would have the 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 to me the best insight on all three of the Ball brothers and their and their growth uh, since you saw them then to now. Well, he, he's always been able to score. He's always been able to shoot. The question is always going to be, can you prove it at the next level? And that's the same for all prospects. It's not just LiAngelo Ball. It's everyone. If your main trait is, you know, you are a, a driver. Well, the question is, okay, can you do it against 
bigger, stronger, faster athletes. Continue to prove it, continue to prove it. So for LiAngelo Ball, I think any of the naysayers that were out there, you know, they saw the reality show. They saw the, you know, eye-popping numbers he put up in high school. And then the question is, can he prove it? And, and I'm not sure there's any player who has been more hurt by in terms of their professional career. Obviously, there are much, much bigger things than basketball when it comes to the pandemic. But in terms of just his basketball career being stunted, Leangelo Ball has been as affected as anyone. He really has not played organized basketball since, you know, those first few days at UCLA. And, uh, and, and you know, maybe it will factor in Lithuania as well in there too. Um, and that's probably the biggest disadvantage, the biggest hurdle he's got to overcome. He's got to get used to playing outside of, you know, a three on three, five on five in the gym pickup situations. And, get used to playing organized basketball again. And so far he has shown an ability to score in multiple ways. Game one, knocked down five threes. Game two, didn't have as many three-point shooting opportunities, but he was getting in there for loose balls, making plays happen, able to score in the paint, had an N one play. Uh, you know, these are all good things. Had an offensive rebound put back too. Um, in terms of the, you know, overall skill set, he has got a chance, and what he is doing right now is giving himself more opportunities, just like any other NBA summer league player in his position would. Um, but he, again, I'll go back to it. I think he he can arguably be said called the, the most impressive player, the the best player uh, in terms of what he's been able to put on the stat sheet through the first two games, and he's going to earn himself more opportunities. And I'm, and I'm thrilled for him to to have that because he's really he's a good guy. Everyone on the team has had nothing but positive things to say about him. I really feel bad for him that, you know, the the opportunities that should have been there in the last two years have not been, and it hasn't been his fault. It's, you know, the, the pandemic we've all been living through. Um, but now I'm just glad to see him get these opportunities and make the most of them, and I'm hoping he has more to come, and I hope he keeps making those shots. We're rooting for everyone to, you know, get the most out of their, their opportunities here, and LiAngelo is no exception. You know, it's crazy. I, I've actually found myself starting to root for him a bit in terms of, uh, you know, I hope he continues on this little streak. I, actually, it'd be a, a pretty cool fairy tale type story for him to end up maybe playing a critical role as a, as a sniper, a shooter of sorts on this Hornets team because they still need shooting. And if he can prove he can do that on a consistent level at this stage alongside his brother. Who knew that LeVar Ball might have actually been correct? LeVar <laughs> did. He was wearing a sh uh, hat the other day saying, I told you so. So LeVar's <laughs> known it the whole time. Um, you know, that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> no, no LiAngelo is a very talented player. The, the bar to making the NBA is an extremely high one, as it should be. Um, but can LiAngelo, will LiAngelo have an opportunity to, to prove it? He will, based off what he's done in Summer League. He's going to get a chance to show what he can do here. And I really hope that he finds, you know, a, a place to play significant minutes, be part of a, of a rotation somewhere in professional basketball, whether that is with an NBA team, a G league team overseas, you know, time will tell what the answer to that question is, but the best thing for Leangelo right now is to keep playing because uh, he is doing what he's done right now without being on a team for over two years. That's yeah. incredible to be able to, you know, basically walk out of pickup games and be able to do this against a bunch of really talented players who are all fighting for jobs right now. So this is legit. This is real. He's, you know, this isn't some YouTube video of him, uh, you know, shooting threes by himself. He's going up against live competition and putting up the stat lines to justify giving him more opportunities.
Follow Sam on Twitter at Sam Farber Live. He is the voice of the Charlotte Hornets radio network. Sam Farber jumping in and uh, joining us here on Franchise Players. Always appreciate having you on, Sam, and we'll definitely catch back up to you a little bit later on uh, here later in the summer. It's been a pleasure and a privilege. Looking forward to doing it again soon. Coming up, more from Franchise Players here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Welcome to Jay Pepper's Southern Grill, locally owned and operated, serving the Kernersville community for over 10 years. Delicious homemade Southern food with a menu with a little something for everyone. With daily lunch and dinner specials, you can't go wrong choosing Jay Pepper's. Home of the Nest with East Forsyth head coach Todd Willard every Tuesday night at 7.30 p.m. live during the season. Plus Wine Wednesday with half-price wine all day and live music every Thursday night. Come join the fun at Jay Pepper's Southern Grill, 841 Old Winston Road in Kernersville. Call in your order now at 336-497-4727. Welcome back to Franchise Players here on your home for tried sports coverage at TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Desmond Johnson here in the house with Hot Rod Thunderbird, Brandon Blakeney. I, um, I, I, every once in a while, I see a meme or a picture on social media, and I think, you know what, that'd be a good topic to discuss with the fellas on uh, franchise players. And one grabbed my eye. I know the NBA season's over, even though with the draft and free agency, the NBA's really knocking on the NFL's door of trying to be like a 365, 12-month-a-year coverage type of league. And I think this year they've really – uh, been able to do that. I, I pulled this meme and I, I sent it to Brandon and I sent it to Rod because I thought it was an interesting conversation. So we'll have a barbershop talk about this. It, it was basically which insane NBA record will be broken first. And I'm a, there's six of them on here. So let me name them first. And then we'll kind of go through uh, the one, the one first, the one we think will never be broken. And then the one we think that uh, might have a shot. Uh, 73 wins in the regular season, any team winning more than 73 wins. Uh, of course, that's the uh, 2016 Golden State Warriors. Uh, averaging 48.5 minutes per game for a season, that was uh, Wilt Chamberlain. Actually, I think that's supposed to be points per game, not minutes per game. Because I, I do know he averaged yeah. like the 48.5 and like 25 rebounds or something for uh, a full season. I think that's supposed to be points per game. Um Clay Thompson's 37 points in a quarter, which I actually watched on YouTube not too long ago over again and was just like, this dude only dribbled the ball like four times. Yeah. <laughs> like all these shots. It was just catch and release. Um, Michael Jordan, 63 points in a playoff game. That's still currently an NBA record. Uh, <laughs> Rasheed Wallace, 41 technical fouls in a season. And Tracy McGrady, when he was in Houston, scoring 13 points in 33 seconds. First of all, out of those six that I gave you, which one of those records do you think will never be broken? Number five. The 41 technical fouls in a season? Yep. <laughs> that was done by our very own Rasheed Wallace. Uh, yep. My my buddy used to play pool with Rasheed Wallace down in Carolina in the pit. Oh, no I'm t- Man, I'm going to tell you what. <laughs> no, Rasheed Wallace didn't care. Period. We don't have players <laughs> built like that. Built built like that this day and time. These players care much more than that. They would rather be on the court. Washi Wallace, he didn't care. He'd let you know what he was thinking. He'd let you know what was on his mind. He'd do it to you physically. He'd do it to you verbally. And I just don't think players today, you know, have that mentality, which is good. 
Don't get me wrong. It's not bad. <laughs> I was like, I was like, hold on, are you defending this? Or what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is good. <laughs> which is good. So Rashid, I mean, he was one of a kind. I think the mold is broken with this guy. And he was a heck of a player. He'd stand behind you. I remember uh, Carolina, we were playing Kentucky. And I don't remember exactly who the center was for Carolina, but Rashid grabbed him by the throat. In the game, you know what I mean? That. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, man. I mean, this guy started his technical fouls early. I mean, he started his career early with that. So that's what how he was built. That's part of his legacy. That everyone is gonna know Rashi Wallace for his text and him losing his mind. So that's why I think that one will probably never be broken. I, you know what? I was just thinking about this the other day. I think Rashi Wallace is my favorite UNC center of all time. Like mm-hmm. he, when he played, it was just at a period of my life where I'm in like high school, uh, like 96, 97, uh, like in that area. Well, really early mm-hmm. in that, 95, 96. Mm-hmm. Uh, that squad with him and Jerry Stackhouse. And then behind them after that with Vince Carter and Antoine Jameson. To mm-hmm. me, as a kid, that was the peak of Carolina. They didn't win a national championship during that stretch. But my Lord, th- those teams were ridiculous. And Rashid, for some reason, anytime he would dunk the ball, he would scream. And I loved it. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. And it would be like this high pitched, ah, like when he would dunk it. So like you kind of knew it, it like added insult to injury. And yep. uh, I just remember him and Jerry Stackhouse just shelling Duke uh, <laughs> in that double overtime game where literally they just were dunking on him the whole night. Uh, yeah. Rashid, Rashid's 41 technical fouls in the season might be really hard to to break um like no one wants to break that is what i'm yeah, saying no one wants to do it <laughs> i was gonna say the only person i could think of that might be able to try to take a run at it would be draymond green maybe but 41 techs in a season can yeah. you even do that anymore like don't they suspend you <laughs> after a certain number you get like a I certain amount and then they start suspending you um brandon out of these that i had mentioned which one of these insane nba records do you think will never be broken yeah i definitely think the tech one would be Damn near impossible to break, but I'm <laughs> that's tough, man. That's dedication. She's a dude, I'm pretty sure. I'm surprised. I think the only guy that could have broke it probably is like Latrell Sprewell. Like, Ooh, that's another but, good one, uh, yeah. even Latrell wasn't like that, like 24 7. You had to get him there to, to get him to that. I'll choke you out phase like Rashid. Yeah, yeah Rashid got there. out the bed that way. Yeah. He actually <laughs> coached high school basketball somebody. last year. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. He, he did. Here. I think he still. I might be doing it this year too. Yeah, um, they. Just, he just opened up. He just helped open up a school actually. Oh, but wow. um, I would have to go with uh, Will Chamberlain, forty-eight point five, near, close, pretty much that's a gotta be ball for almost. That's got to be points per game. It says like minutes points per game. Per game. That's yeah. that. I I don't see that being broken anytime soon. Yeah, we. I, I had the fortune of being alive during Michael Jeffrey Jordan's assault on the scoring records in the late '80s, and even then, Mike was only well, only Mike was averaging like 37, 38 points per game, and that's with him getting to the foul line and basically being the only scorer on those Bulls teams up until like '91 or whatever. When Pippen finally blossomed, but like his 88, 89 season, or really his 87, 88 season, he was, at, I think, like 37 points per game. And that seemed like a lot. Add another 10 points on top of that every game for 82 games. That's insane. Plus, I'm pretty sure this is the same year where he averaged 25 rebounds per game, too. So, dude averaged just 48.5 points per game, 25 rebounds per game, and he still didn't win the MVP that year. Like that's just incredible. That's insane. Yeah, that's yeah. nuts. I don't even understand. Yeah, that's a setup. I think it was Bill Russell that ended up winning it because uh, that's the same year Oscar Robertson basically had a 
triple double for the season. He was the first ever average doing it. He didn't win the the, uh, <laughs> the MVP. It went to Bill Russell. So go figure. For me, the out of these, the one that will never be broken. I find it really hard to fathom a team winning 74 games. A, that means they lost eight, like over a whole season. Like, mm-hmm. I, 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 don't, uh, I don't know if that'll ever happen. Um, although I never thought anybody would break the bull 72, to be honest. Uh, nonetheless, that Golden State team, it's not like they were overwhelming everybody. They were just beating everybody. Uh 37 points in a quarter sounds really hard, too. <laughs> I'm sitting here looking yeah, at it. Yeah, 37 points in a quarter is hard. The problem is Clay Thompson still plays basketball, so he could exactly. break his own record. <laughs> the dude that actually broke the record still probably got half his career left, and he plays right. with a guy that probably could break it, too. Could do it, too. Play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's go to which insane NBA record will be broken first out of those six. I'm looking at one, and – I'm kind of looking at Mike. I'm looking at Jordan in the 63. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when it last in the bubble, wasn't it Utah and Denver? Wasn't it like Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray? Then they both go off for 50 in a game. Yeah, guys have come close to that 60 before. Mm-hmm. And that was an even Giannis game. had 50. Yeah, Giannis had 50. So I mean, but this was an overtime game. Uh it was against the Celtics. Um the 86 Celtics, I should say, which is uh, we've done that bracket before. They're a top three all time NBA team. They're, they're the best Celtic team by far um, and one of the greatest teams of all time. And I, I was rewatching the last dance because every once in a while, well, not every once in a while, pretty much every day I get into these Jordan versus LeBron arguments on uh, Facebook and they piss me off. So I end up <laughs> hopping in the last dance so I can I can make sure I'm actually correct on what I'm arguing about. And they they showed the highlights from from this game. This dude was unguardable that day. Like literally, they took turns trying to guard him. I've never seen Larry Bird look helpless before. Like oh, trying he to looks bad. Hey, he Jordan bad. had this dude on skates. Like it was crazy. Like what he was doing. You see Celtics just shaking their heads. Like they're all taking turns trying to guard him. Sixty three points. I think he only had like three assists and like three rebounds or something crazy like that. And he was the player of the game, and the Bulls lost. So I mean. I'm looking at that one. Uh, that's really the only one, I think, because we pretty much picked the rest of them as ones that could be broken, except for the, well, the Wilt one. Uh, yeah, no one's going to average 48 points per game in today's NBA, although you would think they could because the rules are different. You can't really foul anybody anymore, so maybe it would be more prime to, to do that, but I'm I trying mean, to think, or the league that would, would be able to do it. That's what I'm saying. I mean, the leading scores this year didn't even average 35. Yeah, I, and none of them makes me feel like they could ever get to 48 a game. <laughs> like, that's just a different thing altogether. Steph Curry was the leading scorer mm-hmm. uh, this year, and that was by necessity. He didn't have anybody else, really, that, uh, to score. And he was only – yeah, he was averaging 32 points a game. Uh, Bradley Bill was second. Uh, he finished 31.3. Dame Lillard was third, 28.8, and Joel Embiid fourth, 28.5. Giannis was at fifth, actually, uh, 28 points per game. Uh, oh, I didn't know Zion Williamson was number eight, 27. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right, all right, Zion. Um, I, but out of those dudes, Steph, Beal, Lillard, Embiid, Giannis, Luca, uh, Zach Levine was number seven, Zion eight, Kyrie nine, Jason Tatum 10. Not none of them dudes can average 48 points per game over 82 games. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I just don't see it. Like, none of them. Not a one. No, I think Brad Bill would have the best chance next year without Russ and, 
there's not a whole lot going on in Washington right now. Now, I would say, now, this scoring 13 points in 33 seconds. That's uh, tough. I mean, I, I've watched Reggie Miller score six points in, like, three seconds or whatever. Uh, but I remember that, that scenario with uh, McGrady in Houston when he did that. And it, it felt like it wasn't happening when it did. Like, you didn't really realize what was going on until it was completely over because it was so quick. But that might maybe, and actually two of the dudes that are on this meme could be responsible for doing it, Steph Curry or Clay Thompson. Um, I could easily see either one of them scoring, you know, that's what, three threes and, you know, trip to the foul line or whatever, doing that in 33 seconds. I could see one of them doing that. Yeah, I definitely could see it from those two guys, too. I mean, anytime you're talking about this three-point era, you get those three points that quick and you're trying to come back and you're trying to get a game moving and catch up like that, yeah, Clay Thompson and um, Steph Curry would be the two that I would put my money on to do that. Nobody plays defense. Like, that was the thing that when I was rewatching Last Dance that I realized that, well, they let things go. <laughs> in the yeah. It was like football kind of some, for some of those guys. Yeah. Some of these games, it's like Michael Jordan's got 33 points at the start of the fourth quarter, and the score is like 75 to, to 68 or something like that. And then they finish like in the 80s or like the low 90s. And you can't – I mean, you can hand check. You can basically pop somebody in the face, and you're going to be all right. Like I watched Michael Jordan punch Reggie Miller in the face. I don't think he got ejected from that game. Uh, mm. <laughs> I mean, it was just a different time. But, yeah, I think the one that would be broken first would probably be the uh, – the 63 points in a playoff game. Sorry, Mike, but it's kind of amazing that it hasn't happened yet because that was 1986. So I mean, yeah, I'm just, yeah, you know, the two guys to me who could have done it are, are you know, one is gone and then, of course, the other one is getting much older and I, I don't know if he can do it. And I'm talking about Kobe Bryant. I would have felt he could have done it because uh, I know he would have been aspiring to do it. And, oh, then, yeah. Le and then LeBron James, you know, he's getting a little older, so I don't see him doing it. And everybody else, I, I just don't know about breaking that 63 points. They could, but I don't know who would do it. I think a in, guy in for me game. that I could see doing it would either be um, Dame Lillard or Luka Donick, two guys that I could see possibly doing it. I was going to throw Devin Booker's name in there. Didn't he yeah. have like a 70-piece like last year? Definitely. In the playoffs? He had it in the playoffs. Uh, he, no, it was not in the playoffs. It was the regular yeah, season. Point, yeah, in the regular season, but that was the highest point total since Kobe's 81, mm -hmm. and they're both from the same cloth, really. Right. Uh, I agree with the whole Kobe thing. Like, I think if there was anybody that would have tried to do it, it would have been Kobe. Like, to try to break Jordan's playoff. Yeah. Number, it would have been him. Like he would have went into the game trying to do it. LeBron's kind of wired different. I don't know if he really cares too much about uh scoring records like that. He's I think he's looking at the overall plate instead of individual things like that for where he is. Plus it going into what year 18, I think it is. I think if he was ever gonna do something like that, it would have been like when he was in Miami or, or yeah, something. Or Cleveland the yeah. first time. Well, that's why I yeah. said he's he's a little older, so he wouldn't yeah. be doing it now. But um yeah, Cleveland when he was pretty much the only person, he's the only reason they made it to the finals against the Spurs when he oh, was in Cleveland. Oh, he was young. He was the only person who was scoring. There was nobody else on that team. Man, that team, the, the second best player was Booby Gibson. I don't even know right. where that dude is. Today. That's what yeah, I'm he saying. Got the lead like two years later. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was gone. It was like Booby Gibson. Who else was on that team? Uh, uh, who's the guy Steve, with the hair? The I can't remember Gals his name. Uh, oh, I know you're talking about the dude with the sideshow bob hair. Um, yeah, yeah. Barajal. Barajal. Danielle Marshall. Favorite. <laughs> Danielle Marshall was on that Zitunis team. Zitunis Elgalskis. Right. That was, right. 
that that would have been the time frame I would have expected LeBron to do it because he was the was, only one. Because that was the that was the playoffs when he went off on Detroit, right? Yeah, yep. 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 That would have been the game. Like if if it was gonna go down, it would probably would have been in that one. Um. So yeah, okay, yeah. So uh, sixty three points in the playoff game that could probably happen. Uh, it, again, it's amazing that it hasn't happened yet. Uh, but you know. We'll see. I think the NBA's got a lot to look forward to. I think if you're a Hornets fan, you got a lot to look forward to coming up here too. So Absolutely. a lot of exciting things going on with that. Uh, we got to take a break. So we'll, we'll go ahead and do that and get that out of the way. You're listening to Franchise Players on Tobacco Road Sports.